Chainline Brewery is a little brewery over in Kirkland that is rapidly growing. This is actually part two of a two-part series, so if you haven't already heard about Chainline, then you'll want to go back to the last episode and listen to that part first. Welcome back to part two of Chainline Brewery. We pick up right back where we left off, with the guys talking a little bit about their backgrounds and take a taste test of the five-flavored berry grisette. With me again for part two are Tom, the head of innovation brewing, Sean, the head brewer, and Eric, the head of marketing. Washington Beer Talk is supported by Craft Beer Club. If you're listening to this, then I suspect you're a big fan of beer. Craft Beer Club ships a monthly crate of carefully chosen beers straight to your door. If you need a good gift idea for the drinker that has everything, I bet they'd still appreciate a bit of beer. You can get delicious beer and support the Cycling Cicerone by following the link in the description on the blog or by going to cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club. That's cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club. I'm your host, the Cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. What are y'all's backgrounds? So you just mentioned your background in the wine industry. Where, what got you here? What'd you do all before this? Bicycles. I raced bikes for a long time, managed and directed elite World Cup cycling teams. That's Eric. Ran direct, ran marketing for some global companies in the bike world. Um, but always had a fascination with wine and spent a lot of time in the south of France learning about wine and um, knowing just enough to be dangerous. It's the thing about wine world is to get really good is really expensive and really drawn out and, and very old school, old world. Where so running the bikes and doing all the cycling stuff and then you know just beer is just so much more approachable it's so much more fun and you can go up the street to the beer junction from my house to the beer junction west seattle and you know just wander around like just you're almost overwhelmed by the choices but it's all approachable it's all easy to figure out in the grand scheme of looking at comparing it to wine so for me, it was a natural progression. And when I'm talking to people about beer, I'm using wine terminologies and wine selling tasting characteristics to help push the beer flavor profiles because they're, they're similar on the palate, but like just the whole attitude of the wine world and that's what, you know, the ego and that's what you always hear is like, it's too snobby, I don't want to drink wine. It's a great wine. I still drink a lot of wine, but you know, I'm gonna go home and grab, you know, whatever sixteen ounces sitting in my refrigerator tonight, and it's, I think it's probably probably matchless is all fluff is probably what I'm gonna drink tonight when I get home because that's what's there. Yeah, because that's a good beer because okay. Aaron made it and it tastes like tune up, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> what's your background? Uh, so I actually lucked out. I pretty early on figured out that I wanted to make beer. That shot. So actually in college, I was studying mechanical engineering, started home brewing, and just realized that's, that's what I wanted to do. Um, so graduated and then pretty much immediately went into the Siebel program. Completed that in fall of 2009 and started working in industry. My first, first uh, professional job was actually at Stone. My first two years started in the cellar, worked up to brewer, 
moved on to a small brewery in the Bay Area called Devil's Canyon. I uh, was there for about a year and then went out to Dallas to, uh, to work at Lakewood. Uh, spent four years there, worked my way up to head brewer. Um, kind of grew tired of Dallas. It wasn't, wasn't a good fit for me. You know, Texas in general, I'd, between the heat and the mosquitoes, I, I just kind of had enough. Just put a wall around Austin and throw the rest away. There are some very good people in Texas, so I won't necessarily say that, but it was not the place I wanted to stay. And actually took a took a trip last year, spent a little time in Denmark, and then made my way out here. But uh, yeah, I've been, been, like I said, lucky enough to, to figure it out early on and been brewing professionally for about eight and a half years now. All right. You know I'm a Longhorn, right? No way, you're joking. Indeed, I'm a Longhorn. Three Texas. Welcome. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I also went to UT. Where did I go to school? Okay, so I'm from Montana. That's Tom. Uh, I was born in Illinois, uh, but grew up in Montana in a little place called Missoula. Maybe I've heard of it, maybe I've not. Actually, it's a cool beer scene. Um, I didn't go to college there. I went to college at the University of Oregon. Go Ducks. My top two choices were Naval ROTC at the University of Washington or... Oregon, where I could go and um, drink be beer and smoke weed. So um, anyway, chose Oregon. I would study journalism and Chinese there. After college, I went and taught English in Taiwan and also did some radio work there, writing, wrote an article about the brewing industry there. In Taiwan? In Taiwan, yeah. Um, I was home brewing quite often, uh, selling my beer to a, a bar there, kind of under the table, but also above the table, I guess. Um, you don't need to be quite so under the table, I guess, in Taiwan. No, yeah, right? They're there's not, not a lot case. of regulations there, so um, you just need to know the right people. But anyway, I was uh, doing a lot of home brewing out of necessity. The industry has actually taken off recently there, which is cool to see. To kind of cut you off, but uh, it's it's been very cool to see that you know what we're doing here in the U.S. is spreading world worldwide. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, inspiration. My, my trip I took was three months traveling through Asia, Australia, New Zealand, and everywhere I went there was whether or not it was good beer is debatable, but mm-hmm. there was craft beer everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there, had an epiphany that I, um, well, going back a step in college, my best friend. Um, was a brewer. So I've been kind of involved in the industry for a long time. Uh, and I realized that instead of making kids cry, I want to make, you know, people happy with beer. <laughs> so I moved back to the United States um, with my girlfriend, now wife, went to school at Central Washington. So I could say go Wildcats, I guess. Yeah, I got a, a certificate there in craft brewing, learned a lot and um, was actually a brewery tour guide for a long time. Got into the industry uh, for a lot of different breweries. It's a company called Road Dogs. Um, The alumni are kind of peppered throughout this city. Started uh, cellar work at Stoop Brewing in Ballard. And then um, I spent a a good chunk of time at McMinimins in uh, Queen Anne. That was where a lot of my experimentation kind of ran amok. Ran into a brew pub there and I was responsible for 12 taps, four which were kind of regular beers there. And uh, the rest were up to me to do whatever I wanted. So it was a good spot. And then I ended up here and here I am.
These are these are the grisettes. This no. is a grisette. No, we're yeah. drinking. Uh, we're drinking one of Sean's beers now. No, we're not. No, no. We're not. What are we drinking? This is the grisette. It's that summertime beer with a twist. You already talked about the five flavor berry. I can yeah. taste all five flavors. Can you? No, I can't. I, no, I, I can't really either. Well, depending on the time, but. And the temperature. And the temperature, it yeah. It changes. Yeah. You get more it different evolves. berry flavors with temperatures. It's changed a lot. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was the Saison. You did? Uh-oh. You failed. Well, I did fail. That pale threw off my palate. Mm-hmm. Get him a cracker. <laughs> Give me a cracker. <laughs> Just a saltine, please. Some water. But yeah, this, this has the wuweizi is the Chinese term, omija is the Korean term, and I'm not sure if Japan has a term for it, but um, it's a very interesting little berry. And we don't even have a name for it. Yeah, we just call it Five Flavor Berry. Which is such a boring name. Five Flavored Death Punch, or whatever. That we was were going to call it that. We were. <laughs> that was Matt at Latona's yeah. idea. But then we were like, it's not that intense. No, so. it's got to be a bit more yeah. mellow. The five-fingered death hat on the back or something. Yeah, five-fingered hangout and chill. Yeah, <laughs> might be closer to it. <laughs> That's funny. Five-flavored death pat. Death. I don't know. <laughs> you need at least two more beers. Death poke. Not I I not not try. I successfully don't drink Elysian and Goose Island and all those breweries that are owned by Budweiser. I frequently am like looking up beers to find yeah, yeah. make sure that some brewery I just, you know, is big is this brewery owned by Budweiser, I'll check it out and try not to drink it. Red Hook is one of the ones that has always been on that list. And uh, I'll give you guys a chance to stand up for your friends at Red Hook. Uh, because I honestly am on the fence about that because like you said they're 30% owned and as far as I know that's like they like Budweiser owns part of like the Craft Brew Alliance which is what owns these guys so like they did their own like some weird thing happened over there that sort of eliminated that and then like you were saying craft beer I think that like to distinguish that that's like independent beer there's like the yeah. logo the watch so the Brewers Association logo is independent beer so they're not quite independent anymore but like are they enough they're, like what's the what they like are they illusion of choicing you when you put red hook semantics, on this thing? I guess um, you know another example of that I believe is still true Ninkasi's 20% owned by AB InBev mm-hmm. and nobody ever talks about them I didn't even know that yeah um, see, so yeah, I know, yeah, where do you draw the line? I mean, you, when you start looking at investors, like people <clears throat> buy into your company. The, I mean, the BA has control the, that. Is, that's their, one of their tough jobs is yeah. trying to define that, where I think they've had it at 25%, 25% or less, you're independent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that can be a starting point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's obviously a lot more complex of an issue than, you know, some black and white. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, Hard to say. I mean, you know, did I guess to kind of ask you when did you stop drinking Goose Island? You know, was it when they completely sold? Because there was a long time where they were thirty percent owned by AB. I think the trick for me was by the time I even found out about Goose Island, I probably had it only one time ever before I, before they got fully bought out because yeah. that was an early acquisition by them. So like very they, early. Yeah, yeah, I think that started, was the first. first yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't like. There, it's possible I didn't even have Goose Island ever as an independent yeah. brewery. Like, well, you, you didn't, yeah. more than likely. And yeah. what about like Samuel Adams? You know, do you consider that craft beer? They produce six million or some barrels every year. 
Yeah. And it's and like privately it, owned. I don't know. I guess it is because yeah. it's privately owned. It is privately owned, but so it's, it's considered still... craft beer. I mean, yeah. Where do you draw the line? For me, I like beer. I like good beer. So I'm gonna choose by my palate. You know, I, I don't. I don't get wrapped up in all the nonsense. Like, you know what? It's and I say this all the time. It's just beer. Yes, it's our livelihood. Yes, but people get way too emotionally attached to certain things about it. And it's just beer. It's just wine. It's just pizza. There's, you know, it's just a consumable product that for some reason we get just completely up in arms about. Good. Keep doing it, everybody out there listening, because that means you're going to buy our beer and, you know, all of our friends' beer who are making great beer. But it's just beer, literally. Back to Red Hook, though. Here's what Red Hook does that's really interesting that nobody knows about. They share resources with small breweries. They provide scholarships for small breweries. They help funding for small breweries. They do a lot for this industry because they know where they are. They know where we are. We being all the rest of us smaller guys compared to them, right? They are helping push the envelope in our industry in the state of Washington and Oregon, more in Washington. Nick Crandall, Joel, those guys at the brew house, there are two brewers there. We can call them right now and say, hey, do you have such and such in the cooler? Sure, come and get it. Or we just sent them a keg of stuff the other day. Hey, do you guys have that? Yeah, sure, here you go. So we're trading back and forth and we're not the only ones. They're very, very good about spreading the wealth of knowledge and resources to help push the envelope of what our industry is and to create that bonding network that we do have here and to reinforce it. So we can bash Red Hook, but you can't bash Red Hook, right? <laughs> They're still our friends, our brothers making beer. They're still doing it local. Yes, by technical terminologies, they're 30% owned or whatever. So yeah, they're not really craft beer anymore, but they are in every sense of the word. They think that way, they make beer entrepreneurial. They're running the brew house like we're running our brew house. They just have deeper pockets to draw from. That's all it is. I was gonna say, you could probably extrapolate that to any other company, you know, the, the brewers, the people, the people that were physically doing the work day to day, you know, they're. I haven't met a lot of them, uh, you know, for those that were acquired, but, you know, this industry kind of, there's a very certain kind of person that, that comes into this industry, and we all, we all get along for the most part. You know, everybody has their little squabbles here and there, but, you know, when you can go to any of these events and just hang out and have a beer and have a good time, you know. Mm -hmm. the, so those people, even with, the, you know, the acquisition, the, those people haven't changed. So, you know, it's kind of hard to put that into perspective sometimes as far as, you know, you hate the... You hate the acquisition, you know. You you don't want to support them anymore. That's cool, but the you know the people that still work there are probably still the same people that you know you yeah. loved in the first place. Yep. I guess that's where it gets muddy because if they're thirty percent owned, then still the money they're making to some extent is going back up to Budweiser, who's then using that money they're gaining to sure. employ their illusion of choice and other like sure. un. un debatably unethical tactics like but they're also paying for their wait staff and their servers and all that money is locally you know yeah. keeping keeping employees gainfully employed in the brew lab or driving the trucks or whatever so i mean yeah 
it is muddy and it's splitting hairs, but I mean, it's what we have to deal with. And, you know, we don't think about it. Every now and then when something weird happens, like um, Deep Ellum Brewery in Dallas just joined Red Hook and Kona, you know, with that whole situation. So they were bought out. It was interesting because, you know, we were talking about Texas. But in the grand scheme, we don't talk about it. We don't think about it. It's not, it doesn't matter to us. We're making beer. And, you know, for people who are listening, if it is really important, look on the can, look for the upside down little bottle, independent logo, that will tell you everything you know. Because if it is that important and you're at Chuck's or if you're at A1 Hop Shop or if you're at Tech Tavern and you're buying a can or a bottle, look for the logo, buy from the logo, and everybody's happy. Actually, talk to that. That logo is funny because it's it's new. It's only been around yeah. for not even a year, right? Right, yeah. a year. And uh, I was talking to a small brewer the other day who'd been around just over you know over a year and had but had, had all their labels made and everything. And they said, "Man, I got this independent logo now. I got to put on my thing. I got to remake all my labels and do all this stuff. Like, what is oh, that? Sucks." And they didn't care enough about the Budweiser difference to even think the logo was worth it. Yeah. And uh, I think that just sort of speaks to the fact that. Yeah, okay. There's independent beer, there's Budweiser beer, but it's all complex and it's all just beer. It's just beer. Yeah, it is. Yeah. One of the things I'm fond of saying is like, like I'm, so I'm a certified Cicerone, so like yeah. people ask me like, oh, how am I supposed to taste beer? How am I supposed to do this? Like, what's in that? And then you can like give the lecture, but you sort of have to start it by saying like, none of this matters, right? Yeah. Like we're about to drink out of a shaker pint glass and I don't give a shit, yeah. right? Like, yep. you know, like that's you got to make sure you really keep it in perspective mm-hmm. <laughs> for all the heady conversation we're having now. You're right. You got to keep it in perspective. So, yeah. The best beer, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite beer? The one in my hand. That's always my answer. Every beer is good. Like, free beer. Free beer? I don't know mm. about that. Every beer has good qualities, right? There's something you can pull out of every single beer. It's very rare when I say this is horrible. I will never finish this. Take it back, please. Very, very rare. Uh, Tom and I were out in uh, Snoqualmie yesterday at a, at a cool little brewery out there. You know, they're a year old, year and change, and, you know, the owner's father was hanging out with us. And, you know, he's like, here, taste this, here, taste this, here, taste this. And we're like, you know what? You guys are young, but you guys have something going on. You're doing a good job. And for us, that's what it's all about. And he talked to us for an hour and told us the whole story. Yeah, twice, I think, <laughs> which was awesome. But, you know... It, We've got a lot of good beer, and we're all snobs in this city because we've got great beer to draw from. So when you see these other out-of-town breweries that are you know, larger trying to come into our market, a lot of them don't last. You look at uh, the classified ads right now for Brewery World. That's not a website, just the Brewery World in general. Um, there's a lot of brewery world bigger regional breweries trying to bring sales marketing people into Seattle, into Western Washington. And everybody sees this as like the gold mine. And everybody who's tried, not everybody, but a lot of people who've tried, they haven't succeeded very well. And you look at some of these really hype breweries from Michigan or Iowa or other places that come in with a big splash and then you don't hear about them anymore. Because we've got amazing quality of beer here. Seattle, we're, we're spoiled rotten. Like, the, the barrier to entry here is so high. And if you don't make good beer, you're not going to be around. It's really that simple. And good beer here is 
phenomenal beer if you go to somewhere in a flyover state. Yeah, and you can, I mean, there's places that their whole tap list is just Washington beers, and you could have every different style and a great example of it. Yep. So, yeah, I, I think going back to that, I think even Founders is recently in the market, and, you know, you see it every now and then, but it's Big not high. making a huge, huge uh, displacement or anything like that. they make great beer. Yeah, they, they make do. really good beer, but it's no better than a dozen breweries we have in Washington which is awesome, you know? We just don't, think about Seattle and Washington in general, we don't, we don't stand on our soapbox and trumpet our successes as much as other places do. And that's just a Seattle thing, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, we're good and we know it, we don't need to really talk about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's Belgian style marketing, that's what I always call it. Here's my product, that's it, that's Belgian marketing. Here it is, move along, taste it, it's great. You mentioned earlier, a second ago, the uh, that you rarely will send a beer back for being bad, and then you you kind of continued on to say that you spent a lot of time at that brewery, like you know having fun, and that's what makes the beer good. Oh, yeah. uh, that I fully agree with. I yep. think that ninety percent of the you know the flavor, the ninety percent of the goodness of a beer comes from how much fun you're having at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, or for example, my very favorite IPA is uh, the. The one that you have at uh, Sumerian Brewery, mm. uh, the Narcissist IPA, yeah. and that beer. Every time I've had it, it's always because I've ridden about an hour and a half to get around like Washington, and I finally pop into Sumerian. Earned your I beer, that, and I earn that beer, and yeah. it's so good. Um, one of the best beers I ever had was a Bush Light. Yeah, yeah, that's the way that it is. That's the way that it is. Yeah, I don't know about that. It was time. ice cold. I, I'm I, had, you right I now. had worked my ass off, and and I had an ice cold Bush Light, and it was. Great for the time and place. That's exactly right. Anyway, you were saying that you rarely have sent a beer back. Have you ever actually done that? Was there, what was the cause of that? It was horrible. It was poorly made. It was, um, it shouldn't have even been tapped. Were you at the brewery? No, I was at a tap room. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I look at every beer in, in completely jaded, biased form, right? I'm comparing, contrasting, I'm, I'm judging every single beer that's given to me. Right or wrong, that's what I do. Um, but when something is handed to me and, and it's, you know, it's supposed to be this, this is the style of beer, this is what it, it's supposed to be, you smell it and it smells like buttered popcorn and the carbonation's wrong and the flavor profiles are horrible and it doesn't even taste like what it's supposed to be then it's laced with diacetyl. It's got just, everything's wrong, right? And you get those occasionally, right? Good friends of ours had a huge issue just recently. Biggest issue they've ever had to deal with and hope to God we never deal with it. And you know, their beer was oxidized going into cans and they had to recall it. Holy crap, the beer still tasted good. It just looked horrible and you could taste the oxidization, but that's not their fault. That's the canning guy's fault. So, you know, if I'm given that beer and I push it back, it's not because the brewery made a bad beer. It's because something happened in the process. Mm -hmm. But when I'm handed a beer that is supposed to be a style and it's nowhere near that and it's laced in, in problems, that beer is going back. Yeah. But it's rare. It's rare to get that. If it's something that it's the flavor profile of the beer isn't what I like, 
I'm not going to send it back because, you know, maybe that's what the brewery was going for. But, you know, if they're your standard off flavors in beer, uh, diacetyl oxidation, hopefully never butyric, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to force myself to drink that. Shop, I, mean, shop. I wouldn't, wouldn't send it back, but I probably wouldn't drink it. Well, you know? I would let the bar know. Yes, that's, definitely. Yeah, yeah. If it's diacetyl, then there's something wrong with the keg. Sean and I were somewhere the other day, and he, there's there's this hyped brewery down in Seattle, super hype train, that he ordered one of their beers because I told him to order it. It was a lager, and he <laughs> tasted it, and he's like, he made the biggest nasty face, like, I can't drink that. That's horrible. It's awful. So I tasted it, and I was like, wow, it tastes like Kellogg's cornflakes and a bunch of other <laughs> nasty stuff in there. I still proceeded to drink it, but after inquiries after the fact, it was either, yeah, there's something wrong. In our minds, there's something wrong with that. Well, no, that's exactly what we described. There's something wrong with it. But this is what, that's what they wanted. That was the exact how they wanted that beer to be. And like, that's silly. That is awful. And it just, it didn't work. And it was not by style. It was definitely infected with something. And it was awful. But I drank it anyway. But, you know, Sean just, I think I half a done. taste, he might have spat it out. What are you gonna Not make? Not too much. What's what's the next next awesome beer from Tom? I think the next one would be a Berliner Weiss with Norwegian yeast. Yep. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. So that's the one we're not style defining, obviously. So those are the fun ones. So you just tasted the Norwegian IPA that's bubbling away over there. Mm -hmm. um, we're gonna use that yeast and build a Berliner Weiss with it. All right. It's super awesome. Summer beer. Summer. Gotta have Winterbys, right, Sean? Yep. Absolutely. It's my, probably one of my very favorite styles. Lucky Envelope makes a really they good They do make a nice one. Barry and those guys make great beer. Yeah. I, we often say they're, they might be the most under-hyped, awesome brewery in Seattle. Yeah. We love those guys. That's an opinion I share as well. I have to tell people that. I tell people that all the time. A common critique of their brew pub it seems so sterile. You know, the breweries have a good, this is a brewery place. This place looks like I didn't say this, but it looks like you could get open heart surgery there. That's a good That's where I want to drink. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's awesome. I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but it is clean. They do yeah. have a foaming caustic gun that Barry has told me about. So yeah. maybe that's part of it. <laughs> shoot, shoot caustic everywhere. With proper safety precautions. Yeah, just gloves. <laughs> maybe eyewear. Maybe. For any OSHA people, eyewear. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely Robert. OSHA eyewear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We did our Polaris Pilsner, which wins crap tons of awards. Um, we did that one and sold a bunch of them recently, and then we just put Super Secret Tune-Up IPA, Hazy IPA in cans. So that's shipping on Thursday, actually. Why'd you say Super Secret? I don't know. Because they're silver cans right now. You saw them in the yeah. cooler. That's there's right. no, there's no labels on it. There's no logos. <laughs> Yet. Yet. Um, yeah, so we did a full canning run, and pretty much sold it all in about a day. Mm -hmm. so. When you guys use like a mobile canner or something yeah, to come yeah. along? Absolutely. Craft. Obviously you don't have a canning line, but not that I have room for one. No. We're Will you have one in your big place? Uh, maybe in due time. Yeah, I mean, it's not, we're still trying to figure out what we're gonna do for cans going forward in the future. We don't mm -hmm. wanna, we don't wanna can everything. Why? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work and yeah. it's, it's cool and all, but People want to drink beer in a cool place. You know, mm -hmm. you go to a great tap room or a good restaurant, you know, 
trail bed tap room down in Ballard right across from Lucky Envelope. What a cool spot, you know, or Teku Tavern or uh, Full Throttle, you know, the list is endless, amazing tap rooms in the city. And, you know, I, I credit Chuck and Chuck's Hop Shop is probably the, the guys that started it all and birthed an entire industry of food trucks parking at tap rooms, right? And, and bottle shops. And you know, we've got so many cool places to drink here and so much good beer to drink. And, you know, like Tom was saying, like there's places that only have Washington beer. There's places that literally have a rotating Ballard tap and you won't finish it in a year because there's so yeah. many beers. It's nice to take your can with you, nice to take the beer with you, but I'd rather sit and have a pint with my friends at a cool tap room and and you know enjoy the ambiance and what's going on and you know enjoy whatever that neighborhood that it's in. There was something you said a while back that was about Ballard elitism. Is that something you're willing to repeat again on? Uh, on Hell yeah! <laughs> so you were talking. I'm about... not afraid. <laughs> I'm not scared to say things. Uh, you were saying that like basically there's this idea. I don't know. This cultish fascination with Ballard, and that yeah. you know you guys over here in Kirkland don't get it. Don't quite get that same. I don't know panache. I don't know what kind of word you can use. We have this. no panache. Yeah. Panache. Um, talk about that a little bit. I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's elitism. I think that Ballard. Well, let me backtrack. Fremont is the center of the universe because that's what the sign says. Um, and there's <laughs> dinosaurs made out of shrubbery and there's Russian missiles and Stalin. The statue of Lenin. Stalin and Lenin are hanging around. Is it around. Stalin? Or, I thought it was Lenin. It's Lenin. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's the center of the universe. But then you, you, you move out and, like, the vast amount of old industrial space in Ballard, Freelard, that whole area by the locks and by uh, um, Lower Magnolia, right? There's been a ton, there was a ton of industrial space available and that's what breweries need to build a place. So uh, yeah, by virtue of that alone, that's where all the breweries migrated towards. There's some great breweries. Though. Some great breweries down there. You know, some of our great friends are making great beer down there. You know, Adam at Rubens and the Stoop guys. and. Right. God, there's so many. Uh, you just, the list is endless when it comes to Ballard, right? But for the beer drinkers, not the brewers, you know, it's like, well, let's just go to Ballard and drink beer. It's like, well, there's lots of other places to go drink beer that are as good, if not better, maybe. You know, by your palate, they might be better. There's awesome places to go drink beer. Um, you know, my elitist fascination and disdain actually comes from other breweries that are not necessarily Ballard, but in that general vicinity that, you know, hype train breweries that they make good beer. I'm not naming anybody in particular. There's a bunch of them I think of. They make great beer, but the hype is way better than the beer is. And it's really interesting how that happens. And I don't want that here. And I'm not talking about it as a jealous or envious thing. It's just fascinating to me that a couple of social media posts on Twitter and all of a sudden there's a line out the door trying to get some bottles of something. It's just beer. I'm not going to stand in line for two hours and wait for a bottle of something. I don't think any brewer will. No. But it's interesting. Yeah. Actually, I might go stand at Urban Family for a bottle. No, they'll, they'll just give us a bottle. Uh, yeah, but... We'll just trade them a keg. We like those guys. We trade episode. It was a good episode. We trade kegs occasionally. They yeah. love our pills or we love their sours, so it works out well to have employee taps, basically, something for us to drink and not tell anybody else about it. 
Oops, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Andy. Secret. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of elitism in the brewery world. There's a lot of people who think very highly of themselves and of their beer. Some rightly so, some not. And that's true in every single industry. And I sound like a dick saying that, but I don't care. You're only saying what everyone's thinking. Maybe. Uh, you're only saying what some people are thinking. I don't really have a, I don't really have a filter between my brain and my mouth, so I just ram. So maybe get you ranting again. Uh, what do you think of people who hunt out rare bottles and hoard them in their fridges and garages and just? I think that's stupid. Beers made me drink. Shit. No, there's no time for that. I agree. <laughs> yeah, you know, like when you see hundreds of dollars for a bottle of beer as a brewer, you're like, yeah, is it really that good? You know, I'm sure it is good, but I don't think it's that good. It never could be. There's yeah. just no way. Yeah. Especially. It'd have to be 20 times better than the I've beer trained. I had right here. Yeah, I've trained. I've trained. Yeah. Hashtag. No, I can't say that. Most people Hashtag in the beer industry don't don't get too involved in the, the beer trading and all that jazz. It's also very expensive, and I'm a brewer. I don't make enough money to, <laughs> to even try to do that shit. So. And, and to be honest, most of that beer doesn't last if you lay it down. The, the, the window opportunity is pretty shallow on a lot of the beers that people are actually trying to keep. Mm -hmm. Obviously, some of the barrel-aged stuff gets better over time, and certain beer styles are kind of required to be laid down a while, but a lot of that stuff, it just it's not going to last. Just drink it. Mm -hmm. It's just the, beer. The difference between hoarding and cellaring. Yeah. Uh, buying it. Buying a couple bottles of something and you know, lay, have, you know, to have one now lay the other couple down, try them as they progress in age, you know, that's one thing. But when you're, if you're buying them just to either say, oh, I had that and never drink it as a waste. Um, but also, you know, if you're trying to make a profit on it, I mean, it, you know, it, as a brewer, it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we want people to go and drink this beer. You know, the price you put on it is the price we think people should pay for it, not an exorbitant upcharge. And I think most people, whether it's beer or anything else where you know there's a limited supply on it would would, would agree you know yeah most brewers want you to drink their beer you know not pay thousands of dollars for it one of the things i think i think is silly is vertical tastings if you get the same beer from like you know 10 years in a row and you get the same release over and over again i think that's so funny because you might one day open you know six-year bottles and do a, a vertical flight that would just I, I could imagine doing that just for the, I don't know, thought, the, in, you know, yeah. the intellectual experiment. What's the real taste? Like, what's the difference? How has this beer aged? The thing is, you can't taste how it aged. We're All not, you can see is what, it, what, what that beer tasted like that year. Right? We're not in the wine industry. This is not wine as much as people want it to be exactly the same as the wine industry, but more approachable. It's not. Beer is not wine. They age differently. They're meant to do different things. I mean, even you sitting here, the Cicerone group and the naming alone, I mean, that's just a direct attack at the sommelier program, right? We want the exact same thing for beer. It's not the same. Yes, what you're doing as a certified Cicerone, you know, tasting profiles and glassware and pouring and all those things, that's important. But we need to embrace the beer world as the beer world for who we are. It's not the wine world. And doing things trying to emulate the wine world, it's not healthy. It's not good for the, the product. It's, 
it's not the same and it never will be no matter how many verticals we want to hang out and put in our wine cellar or beer cellar. I, I've actually done a couple of vertical tastings, most that were presented to me. And just as a brewer, you know, they're, they're interesting. But yeah, I, I mean, I kind of see your point as far as, you know, just a general consumer. Um, it's mostly to say that you did it. I mean, usually, particularly on a 10 year, if you've, most of those beers at that 10 year are not very good anymore. They've, they've passed their prime. Um, you know, there's only maybe a couple styles in the world where you know, it actually tastes good after that 10 years. Um, you know, your, your higher alcohol barrel age, you know, you're looking two to five years, most of them, but, you know, they're kind of in that peak range. Um, so, you know, you get too far beyond that. It's usually the beer isn't all that good tasting it that but But, you know, having, having the verticals, uh, like I said, as a brewer is interesting, not only to see, yes, kind of where that peak was for those, um, even though they're not the same beer, but also just to generally tasting, you know, hey, maybe they, they, did they switch the recipe up, you know, from one year to the next as the core beer actually still tastes the same. You know, it's all, all stuff that, you know, and that's not to say, you know, any, any consumers wouldn't be interested by that, but particularly, you know, for the, the technical aspects of it on my side, it, it's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, best beer is fresh beer. It is, it is amazing, like, if you're at a tap room, just put on a keg that's been sitting in their cooler for, I don't know, a month. They're hanging on to it for a reason, whatever, and it's supposed to be, you know, especially in the, the hazy world we live in now, six weeks, seven weeks later, once they kind of get around to the middle of the keg, it's like, wow, it's not quite as poppy. The hops have fallen off, and then what's going on? Why is this not fresh? Why is it seven weeks old? Different beers have different standards. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. That's exactly right. And hazy IPAs, the standard is drink it now. If we wanted to take a lesson learned in the brewing industry and bring it back to the wine industry, what could we teach them? Calm down and have fun. Winemakers, I, I've, I've got a... overthinking it. Yeah, I've got a big wine background, so I've spent a lot of time in the vineyards and the wineries, and there's some high-strung, rich people. That's kind of all it is. And they are so wound up, they need to just calm down and sit down and have a beer. That's a good I lesson. Cheers to that. Yeah. Cheers to that for sure. You guys are doing the uh, gigantic bicycle fest. Yes, we are gigantic bike fest. You're making a, a custom beer for that event. It's yep. coming up August 24th, 26th. Yep. And um, tell us about the beer you're making. Well, first of all, uh, those guys are awesome. Levy Bricks Productions and Attain Housing. Uh, so we did a special beer for the Seven Hills of Kirkland bike ride uh, called the Seven Hills of Fluff, which was awesome. That was that was Sean's first beer. Here, yes, first beer here. And it was awesome, it was good. Um, so we sold it in Kirkland primarily as a fundraiser for Attain Housing, which is uh, basically housing placement for privileged or whatever the case may be so same group Jesse and his group also do levy breaks which is a production company they do musical things they do art exhibits we're running a full bicycle art exhibit right now here in the brewery uh, and gigantic bicycle festival in Suquamish in August seven hills of fluff was the first beer so we're gonna do a session IPA of some sort uh, in uh, late July for early August release that we'll be pouring there and here only. 
Um, we still don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be uh, IPAE and sessiony. 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 Sessionable. I hate that term. Sessionable. I hate that. Okay, wait a second. We got we got to pause on the gigantic bike fest for just a second, so we yeah. can talk about session IPAs and at what point you accidentally strayed back into the pale territory. If apparently the I, I, if the ABV is what makes an IPA into a pale. Oh, and how did we just make a session it. IPA? I think ABV bitterness is what you look at. Um, I think a session IPA, if we're going to talk about that, would be four and a half percent to me, sub sub five percent, anyway. Whereas a pale ale would be above five percent, I believe. Okay. Yeah, the session term is kind of generally anything below five. Right. Yeah. Uh, also on IBUs, which. IBUs, we, who cares about IBUs, just what, how bitter it is, maybe? So if you took a IPA and you brought the ABVs down to make it a, you turn it into a pale first. Yeah. And then if you took the IBUs of your now session IPA that's more closer to pale, maybe crank the IBUs up a little bit. So maybe lower alcohol, but higher bitterness will bring you back into the, if, you know, if every beer is yeah. a set of spectrums, you know, a set of, set of variable ranges, <laughs> then maybe you can bring it back in IPA by making it lower alcohol, but higher bitterness. True. Yeah, the the <laughs> lines true. do get blurred a little bit, uh, particularly when you start throwing the extra pale ales in there. Yeah. Extra uh, pale ale? I haven't heard of that. Who's fucking around with me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is a category. Is a category. I, I judged that at the Washington wow. Beer Awards. Okay. So, Jesus. Um, that's kind of one of those where you start seeing the you strong know, pale. It's not strong it, pale. Yeah, sorry. strong. Oh, okay. Um, well, still haven't really even heard of that. Same thing. silly category yeah. names. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of where you can start seeing some, you know, IPAs and pale categories and winning and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So, it, we try to define them, but you know, as brewers, we also try to keep innovating and keep because you know, consumers they want, particularly nowadays, it's you know, cool. What's the next new thing? You know, we've had that. What do you got that's new? So, you know, as, as brewers trying to keep innovating, you know, by not only creating new beers, but trying to you know, potentially create new styles, too, or push style boundaries. And that's, you know, part of the reason why we have so many styles now, and so many American styles, is because, you know, people want to keep pushing those boundaries. And so as that happens, you do sometimes blur those lines a little bit. So going back to Gigantic. Yes. And the session IPA, the that was a great, that was actually really good. It was Sean. Um, <laughs> Poetic. Uh, so last year we were approached by one of our uh, really cool accounts called Tornado, over on Green Lake, 65th and Roosevelt, and they wanted they were starting a brunch service at the restaurant. They wanted us to do a brunch beer for them. And they wanted it juicy, they wanted it hazy, they wanted it drinkable, and they wanted a session ABV level. So we worked with them and built what we called pre-ride IPA at the time, which was 4.7 ABV, hazy IPA, tasted great. Um, so we're taking the pre-ride name, and Sean and Tom, or Sean or Tom, or some semblance of the two of them. Flip a coin. Yeah. Sham. We're going to call him Sham. <laughs> Sham. Um, and they're going to take that recipe, Sham, Sham, Sham Commons, and build a new pre ride essentially just for Gigantic. So it'll be. Did I say I want it clear or do I want it hazy? 
I don't think I said. I, I, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, yeah. I said a New England-style <laughs> clear beer. That's what I wanted. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're going to redo, bring back the name with a brand new recipe for Gigantic. And Gigantic is three-day bike festival, lots of concerts, lots of organized bike rides. We're going to be out there pouring beer, riding bikes, probably shooting, probably not shooting fireworks, maybe lighting bonfires on fire. I don't know. I haven't figured that part out yet. Just raising a ruckus and having a good time. And that's in August because that's where we're going to be and that's where everybody else should be too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you use a promo code BEER to sign up for Gigantic Bike Fest, you get half off admission. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's oh, hell yeah. Promo code BEER. BEER. Yeah, for all the BEER podcast listeners. Okay, well, we've officially talked about a lot of stuff. We've been going on for much longer than an hour. Cool, I think we filled up your entire hard drive. Yeah. Yeah, it's full. Yeah. <laughs> I see it. It's totally full. empty. Oh, man. Thanks a bunch, everyone. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, let's get a, uh, let's get like a, a clink sound. A clink? Even though I'm kind of... Thank you so much for listening. This has been Washington Beer Talk. I'm your host, the Cycling Cicerone. If you want to get more episodes of the podcast, then go to cyclingcicerone.com slash podcast. They're all up there. You can get on a Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, most of the places you can get podcasts. Don't forget to check out Craft Beer of the Month at cyclingcicerone.com slash beer club to support the podcast and get tasty beer. Gigantic Bicycle Fest is a three-day festival of music, biking, and the arts, and this year, yours truly is hosting the Beer Garden. If you want to help out or if you're a brewer that wants to serve your beer at our Beer Garden, then hit me up. If you love biking, camping, art, or any combination of those, then register for a ride at GiganticBicycleFest.org and use my promo code BEER for half off your admission. You can register for a 50-mile ride, a century ride if you're bold, or just come and enjoy the music festival and beer, August 24th to 26th. See you there.